Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favorite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hi, welcome to today's News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Paul Conti, Principal Consultant at Mobile and Cloud Security Specialist, CWSI. How are you doing, Paul? Good, thanks, Charlotte. And before we start, tell us about your background so you know who you are. Sure, yeah, I suppose um, I've been in this industry quite a long time, uh, over 20 years in IT and security. I probably started out, my first IT job was doing Y2K updates, which yeah. probably dates me quite nicely, around about 1999. Um, and worked with telcos for about 14, 15 years, kind of in systems admin, security engineer uh, kind of roles. And then I joined CWSI about nearly nine years ago um, and kind of interested in them. They were a small company at the time. I was only their 13th employee. and um, But they were doing some interesting stuff around mobile security. I had quite a bit of background at the time in managing Blackberries, which were fantastic machines. But we were starting to see, you know, iOS and Android trickle into enterprise and that's kind of the space that CWSI were in. So it looked like a an area that was going to be something new and something different. So I've been working with them for eight years, mostly initially around managing those devices. Uh, so basically turning them from what were executive jewelry, a few people had yeah. them, to what is now standard. I think everybody in, in enterprise now is used to using an iOS or an Android device. Um, and then the last four or five years, we've really seen that kind of mobile conversation just become a general endpoint conversation, the tools that were brought in primarily cloud-based tools to manage those mobile devices are now the same tools people are using to manage Windows, manage Mac, increasingly to manage IoT, uh, all different kind of things because it's the the way that people are working now, tying your management plane into your office location doesn't make any sense anymore. It needs to be cloud-based, it needs to be able to be flexible. So that was a natural progression for the business. Um, and out of that, we started doing a lot of work around Customers coming to us asking questions about, okay, I've got these mobile devices, I've got these mobile endpoints, I've got this kind of layer, this management layer to control them. How do I, how do they help me in my business? What do I do with them now from a business point of view? So we would start kind of consulting around digital transformation. So how do you start taking what was essentially just an email device for a good 15 years on mobile devices was just email going back to HP, Jornadas and PAMs back in the early noughties. Um, that was still the case five, six years ago, even though they had super high-powered smartphones in their pockets, all they were using before was email. So we started looking at implementing apps, building VPNs and app structures back into systems and much more around the cloud area. And, and obviously, what's the security look like around that? You know, how, how do you implement corporate security on consumer-grade devices using consumer networks and, and people you know, using them? for probably multi-purpose because most people use their smartphone for personal and work use. So it's quite a lot there to figure out that was new to enterprises. That's what we yeah. were doing a lot of conversations to help them out with. Um, and then just general director travel in the last couple of years has been a huge growth in the capability of Microsoft. So, you know, five years ago, someone said to me, Microsoft, good, good tool for managing mobile endpoints. I would not. Well, it's, they're not at the races, they're not mature enough, they don't have the same capabilities as their competitors. 
two, two years later, you asked me the same question, complete 180. You know, Microsoft are probably a leader in this market. They've, they've really put a lot of effort into it. Um, and then the natural progression was into their Office 365 management and all the kind of security and governance and controls around that. So we've become a massive security and compliance partner with Microsoft for the last couple of years as the company's grown. Kind of over 100 employees now in five different countries uh, working in this space. Um, and yeah, my, primarily what I do at the moment is working with our key strategic customers yeah. around advising them in data compliance, uh, governance, and security for their mobile workforces. I remember a few years ago, five years ago, I was at a conference that Irish Tech News were the media partner with Microsoft. And it was all to do basically uh, security and AI and different things. And when they were doing this, Steve Ballmer just, I just left Microsoft. And more than half the guys that were speaking at the event for Microsoft were actually using Macs. Whereas yeah. before, Barmer would be basically a certain thing. And also, the, at the time, Barmer was very very much promoting Nokia uh, phones with the window, with, with Windows uh, kind of OS in it. And now that he, now that he left, they realized we're, we're, we're on the wrong trail. We should be supporting, we should be providing software that can be used in any OS. And not, not, just, not just basically presuming everyone's going to have a, have a Windows PC because they aren't, and also with the cloud being what it is, they remade Azure to what it is today from what it was. Absolutely. Like, I think they, the difference when Adela took over was the focus on what they were good at, which is a software company, yeah. um, and particularly the focus on cloud-based software as being the future. Um, and they, they got onto that, and they put the time and effort into it. And um, there's still... There was still quite a bit of work to, to, to do that. You know, there was a, a lot of legacy. Any of, any of us who've been in IT for more than 10 years, 20 years, there'll always be uh, lots of horror stories about working with Microsoft technologies, even though it's probably what you, all of us will still do 90% of the time. But absolutely, the, the focus on multi-operating system, consumer-grade devices, um, and meeting customers and users where they are, rather yeah. than enforcing you know, a corporate or a or vendor standard on them. I think that was the big other change that mobile brought in. So before, like when I joined IT back in the day, if you got given a laptop, you had no say in the hardware you got, you had no say in the software you got, and you had no say in the in security controls on them. You try and do that now with a modern organization and you'll have issues with, with staff retention and bringing people into your business. They won't stand for it. They want a device that is the best device for them to do their job. Yeah. They want the device with the best software for them to do their job, and they wanted the ability to change that in a reasonably quick, flexible way. And they want security controls that are suitable to the risk rather than just arbitrarily enforced. Yeah, talking about hardware, I remember years ago when I got my, my, my Mac, the first thing I did was uh, put in Office because the, the, the Mac's the version of, the version of, of of Office, that well, the the copy of that, which was basically Apple's version of of, of Office Suite, wasn't great. Mm-hmm. Said, well, I'm going to buy what new works, and, and that's basically Microsoft Office. And uh, and Microsoft upgraded are, are doing software, and maybe not all the time great doing hardware. So I'm thinking, if I can merge the best hardware and the best software, I've got happy medium. And nowadays, you see companies more or less doing that. Yeah, and it's interesting. I do have a soft spot for the old Windows phones, yeah. the Nokia's phones you mentioned earlier. They were one of the better. Uh, mobile operating systems at the time for, from an enterprise point of view, yeah. maybe not so much from the consumer point of view, because they never had the, the app ecosystem buy-in that, that Google and Apple have. But um, yeah, like the, the, from the Microsoft software point of view, I, I would say at the moment that the Office experience on an iPad or on an Android device is probably 
better than it would have been on Windows devices in terms of the web client and yeah. the, the, user, the user. And that really stands to Microsoft putting the effort into where, as I said, meeting where the customers where they are. So it's it's just it's very it's been very interesting to see kind of a large traditional tech company able to innovate um, as much as they have because it's not something they would have been known for before. Because I can remember years ago, back in the early eight, back in about 84, my father's company, and uh, my father took me in for a week to work with him and play around with some of the computers. And I, one had was a K Pro, which was a, one of the world's first uh, laptops. And it basically, it was in a, like a toolbox, opened up, and then it would. The, the screen uh, was there, a small green and white screen, and then a keyboard popped out. And I remember using that. And back then, that was cutting edge. And then when laptops became more popular, Microsoft was, you have to support that, that, that then. And then laptops that we had over the past 23 years have evolved what they are now. But suddenly you're now getting tablets that are doing what laptop would be doing 10 years ago. So Microsoft now realizes we have to support that because that's going to be anything. Because nowadays, if you're a sales guy on your road, Rather than carrying around a laptop, you carry around a tablet. Yeah, and it's it's even further than that. Like Microsoft have to support things like Chrome OS because it's huge in education. Like yeah. most of my kids all use Chromebooks, and they're using a mix of Google and Microsoft software on those. You've got Android, you've got iOS, you've even got you know Microsoft have adopted Linux as yeah. a support the operating system for VMs and for um, for for management. Uh, uh, over, overview. So it's lots of it's 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 a very different world than the kind of mono culture that used to be the case. You know, when I when I started out in IT, the goal was always to have the least amount of choice possible. So the, the one family of hardware, one family of software, because just from a management overhead, it was an awful lot easier. But with modern tooling, it's much it's much easier now to be able to have a more flexible approach. I remember years ago when I was in college back in the early nineties. I was using digital systems for programming and all that, and they're now not really using them, I'm thinking. That was what it was back then, and you had these dumb terminals that we were using that could just log in, and there was, yeah. and all the, see, all the person power was handled by the, by the, uh, the mainframe itself, which is like in a big, huge room. Nowadays, you have a scenario where a lot of this now is Windows-based, not anymore, and, and uh, the dumb terminals that we're using now are more powerful than the, than the hardware or was in four, 30, 40 years ago. Plus, yeah. it's, it, it's all cloud-based, so you can have a, it doesn't matter what, what spec your computer, or laptop or, or desktop has, because it's all pulled from the cloud. Yeah, like it's an interesting one. There's um, one, one area that I've been kind of working with some companies on recently has been around securing development environments. You know, developers, yeah. you know, they're... they're there can be difficult to, to, to put security on because the nature of their, their work is they have to have access to lots of resources, they need to be very flexible, and they usually have to have some reasonably powerful semi-admin features over their device to be able to do what they, what they do. But the flip side of that is they often you know, don't have great security controls in place, uh, and, but they still want to access corporate resources. They still want to get their email, go onto Teams or Slack or whatever they're using for collaboration. So you know, it's always been a struggle. And what we're starting to see some organizations adopt now is using cloud-based VMs. So you, know, you can have your Mac that you use for your development, yeah. which is connected to the development network and there's no kind of prod connectivity. And then if you need to get your, you know, your standard office collaboration tools, all those kind of elements, 
you just spin up a Windows VM in Azure, and they're incredibly responsive, yeah. powerful. There's no latency anymore. You, you honestly, if it's up on a screen in front of you and someone didn't tell you that you were on a virtual machine, you wouldn't know. Yeah. Uh, and that's starting to see a, be a really viable option now, as as kind of make crew being able to create that bridge uh, between um, an unsecure and a secure environment. Because we the most important thing is you're going to get the developers that are doing stuff, and every forty days you have to change the passwords, and time, and they're going to eat to forget what it is. Like a guy once told me a joke, he said, oh yeah, I, I my password is, is incorrect. So when I get it wrong, the computer will say your password is incorrect. And that's where you know <laughs> what it is. So you get that kind of scenario, or you go into to a, an office and you see post-its on a, on a, on a, on a screen, yeah. stuck on saying what this password I'm thinking, that, that to me is wrong, but that happens a lot. Well, I think that's a failure, to be honest, of identity control. Anyone who's still doing 40 or 60-day password resets is kind of probably living about five years in the past. It's, yeah. the, the, the approach now is, tend, is to use proper authentication models like MFA yeah, and doing real identity risk evaluations. So where are, they, where are they logging in from? What kind of device is it coming from? Why? How compliant is that device? You know, do, Does it have antivirus running on it? Is this somewhere they've logged in from before? What are they trying to access? That kind of level of conditional access is what you know, modern organizations should be doing. Anyone who's still kind of relying on password rotation or anything like that is, uh, is really going to be leaving themselves open to a lot of risk. Yeah, and if you're using a modern mobile device, that's going to have like a fingerprint scanner or, or, or a facial recognition. So that more or less negates the fact that you don't need to have a password anymore or anything from my password because it yeah. does that for you, which is great. Yeah, we're seeing a lot of passwordless rise um, and biometric is definitely one element of that. And I'm increasingly now also offline authentication models like FIDO tokens and stuff like that are really, really cool um, if you need to get that extra layer of security. Yeah, I saw one a few years ago. It was at the MasterCard. I've got an innovation lab in, um, out in Leopardstown. And they were showing me, they had this little ring you put in your finger. And a ring is, is, is designed to actually, uh, it's set to go with your heartbeat. So it, it knows you. It's like basically, so when you got a heartbeat, your heartbeat is, is particular to you alone. A bit like a fingerprint. Yeah. So what happens is when you're using a, a, a going somewhere, rather than have to swipe a card or anything else or key in a password, this fingerprint, uh, this ring in the finger will let, let the... Uh, Whatever you can access, know it's you, because you can't make a heartbeat. So when you got that, you wear this, and you, and you, and you wear the finger, and you can end up basically going around with the finger, and you can end up doing something like that or that, whatever you do with the finger, wherever it's on, and that more or less says, yeah, this is Ronan or this is Paul. Let them access what they want to access, and that to me yeah. is great. And I think stuff like that will become more, more mainstream as well. Yeah, there was an interesting one a couple of years ago. So probably going on four or five years ago now, so it's probably become a little bit more common. But there's a it was a company where basically they in, did a small implant into yeah. the palm of people's hands, like a grain of rice kind of yeah. thing, and that was essentially just an NSC kind of uh, uh, chip, and that allowed you. That was your kind of second factor authentication. That was your that's how you got into the door and in, in all the doors in the, in, the, in the building of all their offices. It was how you paid for your food in the yeah. canteen. It was everything you needed and. You know, all the employees, well, the majority of them were quite happy to volunteer to have put in because it made their, their kind of uh, experience so, so, so seamless. So, you know, so some of us might be thinking, I don't know, if work asked me to, to get, in, get implanted with something, I might be a bit wary of it. When 
when you start seeing all the benefits, it becomes a, a slightly different conversation. So that'll be quite an interesting space in the next couple of years is when we start moving from external biometric potentially to the implant and IoT side of things. But definitely smartwatches, uh, phones, these are all very easy to integrate with things like Windows Hello for Business using NSC or Bluetooth as your additional factors. Yeah. And getting back to other things, like what are you predicting to be the biggest trend in the tech industry horizon? Yeah, well, whatever I predict is probably going to be wrong. Yeah. Uh, I get asked this question every year. Um, so there's a couple of things I think that are that are, we're likely to see in 2023. I think for me, I don't think this is going to be a year we're going to see massive change or innovation. I don't think there's going to be a big kind of sweeping moment of technology that's going to kind of be lighting up. There's a lot of chat about GPT and stuff like that, but like realistically, I think we're going to see a lot of retrenchments this year, a lot of kind of consolidation. So after COVID, you know, COVID was a massive accelerant for getting remote working, hybrid yeah. working in place. You know, most organizations, only a small percentage of our staff were, were set up for that. Whereas now it's probably the, the, the majority, it's the norm. So I think that's going to be double down on. So people are going to start saying, okay, that, that this isn't going to change. I know some businesses are trying to bring people back in, but realistically, hybrid working is here to stay. It's 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 the way we're going to be going. So all that stuff we put in in a hurry, we need to go back and really look at that and see, is it meeting our governance and compliance standards? Is it scalable? Is it being looked after properly? So I'm seeing a lot of organizations planning on doing a lot of work around building out data retention policies, data loss prevention, um, a lot of a lot of focus on getting kind of training into their staff. So there's been a lot more focus on you know improving their security awareness training, which because it was always very focused on internal before. And even audit, we're starting to see people thinking, okay, how do I audit a clean desk policy when it's someone's home? How do I how do I ensure that the controls I had in the office to make sure that somebody wasn't copying stuff down from a screen or that? How do I implement those kind of controls if they're not in my in my in my site, so it was, I think that whole area of hybrid working is going to mature um, yeah. into into BAU. So that'll be a big focus this year. Um, and then, from a security point of view, I think there'll be a huge focus on supply chain. We've already seen yesterday or the day before um, a, a, a large breach. Um, there's there's been I think three or four breaches in the news since since the new year. Yeah. In nearly all cases, we saw last. year, Year, there was a supply chain element to those breaches. It wasn't the large company itself. It was some kind of supplier or contractor or somebody further down the, the supply chain. Um, and you know, as as a as supplier of services to large companies, we see this ourselves. You know, we, we embarked on a program three or four years ago to become ISO twenty seven zero zero one certified, which is just a kind of a regulatory standard that shows that you have good cybersecurity hygiene. But it was quite unusual for a small company to go to that level. Yeah. Uh, but now we're starting to see that as a request from organizations because they really are worried that the supply chain is a weak link um, in their in their cybersecurity kind of defense and depth. So I think there'll be a big focus on that. We're also seeing some focus on that in government guidelines. You know, there's been some new NCSC Ireland guidelines to public sector, where again they're starting to get them to get some baseline standards in and focus on basic security hygiene including their supply chain so i think that'll be a big one um, and i think some good stuff is we're starting to see a lot more focus at board level on cyber security risk for, for various factors i know there was some um statistics came out of the the economic forum in davos there recently where you know 
over 40, 45-50% of senior leaders are starting to see cyber security and cyber risk as a key element to keeping their businesses running, which was not the case you know, a, a couple of years ago, uh, which, which should lead to a lot more investment, a lot more um, focus on making sure that you know, the cyber security is done properly. Because uh, it, it's still, there's still a huge scope for growth there. Most organizations are light on staff, they're light on skills, uh, and there's a, there is a deficit of people out there who have the ability to kind of implement good security in you know, all that stuff we spoke about at the start, this new kind of flexible, complex world with lots of different devices, software, and lots of change. But about two years ago when I, was, when I was doing podcasts during the pandemic, I was talking to security expert about basically we had BOID, and right now, when you're working from home, you're using a system you, you, you wouldn't have used in the office. And he goes, oh, it's changed, and it's worse than that now. It's BOI and bigger network. You're using a, a network like for, for broadband set that you wouldn't be allowed to use in the office. So we've now got to make sure our staff are trained around that, and if they're using, if they're going to access stuff in the office, we might have to get them to install it on a VPN that they can access stuff in the office. That would make sure that would negate the risk you have from using your own network. Yeah, it's um, it's definitely a different environment. We're, we're not seeing the the VPN side of things is, is definitely there, but it's 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 reducing. I think the real focus now is is kind of on defense in depth and assume assume breach. You know, you assume that the person's home network is yeah. going to be easy to compromise, and you assume that they're going to click on a link from an email because the, the phishing is just so strong now, and also it's omni-channels, and it's not just phishing in email where you can go look at a header. It's phishing in WhatsApp, it's phishing in yeah. Facebook, it's phishing in Twitter. Um, so, you know, which could, on a mobile device, it's impossible to do any kind of uh, check on, you know, visually check to see if that link is okay or, or that email is okay. So you kind of have to assume that there will be some compromise at the, at the first layers of defense. So then you need to think, how do I, how do, I do damage limitation? So that's where we're starting to see the focus on things like data loss prevention. So there's a lot of controls in place now like on the in the mobile world, it's very mature because there was always that separation between apps and operating system. So you know the, the idea of containerization has always been there on mobile. So it's very easy to put a wrapper around your corporate yeah. data, and you know it's encrypted. It's in its own little island. So even if the rest of the device is compromised, that data is safe. And um, you can also do the same thing now on Windows and, and Mac. You know, using similar kind of controls, you can draw those boundaries. So you can. You can allow a bit of personal use and that little bit of risk will prevent the data moving locally on the device. So it, it, there's a lot more sophisticated controls in place now. Um, another area is around preventing people uploading data to cloud services because you know it's it'd be so easy to pick up half a terabyte of data and just drop it into a Dropbox folder from your laptop. Yeah. If you've got you know four, 5G mobile or you've got one gig broadband, you know that that won't even take that long. Um, which, you know, it's kind of mind-blowing to, yeah. like, I guess the likes of you and me, you've been around when a, when a T1 line was the, uh, was the epitome of, of high-speed data. But, um, so it's so easy now. So you, putting controls in to prevent that, so you, you can get a lot more visibility over what people are doing. You can label and classify your data, and you can specify different types of data can never even come off your network. You can prevent certain types of data being uploaded to cloud services. So I think that's the area that we've really seen a big maturation and controls yeah. as you're not just kind of using more crude options like you know a VPN and forcing people to have to bring all their traffic back into the corporate environment 
and then up to the internet because realistically in most organizations now the majority of their workloads their tooling is cloud-based it's not it's not yeah. on, it's not on-prem with, with certain um, exceptions but the majority of it now is cloud-based so it makes more sense to have your controls between the endpoint and the cloud than try and bring that traffic back into your uh, internal network I remember years ago when i was using crm software you had to download and install it and compete and was stored locally nowadays that's all done in the cloud so if you get data breach because the data is in the cloud it's harder for the breach to access that and you can just turn the computer off and on again and go back into the cloud and it's safe because it's not on your computer yeah, so the, the, the whole not trusting the network and not trusting the endpoint, that's the model now. You know, we call it almost the coffee shop security model. You assume that your employees are working from a coffee shop um, and it's uh, so you, you don't know what kind of network they're on and it could be anything. So you have to kind of go for more sophisticated controls. Uh, so you have to think about exactly that. You know, if they got into the cloud, can we limit the amount of data? Uh, confidentiality is really important so you know the need to know so making sure people only have access to the data they should have access to like if you work in sales you shouldn't have access to a crm necessarily you probably only need to get access to a sales limited view of that kind of data yeah. you know if you work in in hr but you don't deliver you don't actually work in payroll you shouldn't have access to payroll data so there's still quite a lot of work to do there, but organizations are getting much better putting those kind of information barriers in place in their organizations, and the tooling for that has got much more sophisticated. I think since agency hack happened a couple of years ago, we realized who should access what and how it should be maintained and make sure that you've got silos that you're going to access if it pertains to what your job is. Yeah, and like a big problem that organizations struggle with is, is, is um, access. So, you know, especially if you've been in an organization for quite a while, you might start off working in one department, and then you move to another role and another role and another role. But a lot of organizations had very poor uh, joiners, movers, levers controls in there. So they weren't really making sure that you removed your old access and gave you the new one when you moved into the new role. So you could potentially move from IT into HR into somewhere else, but you've maintained all your access all the way along, and that opens up loads of risk. And that was the kind of thing that you could see Within the HSE, there was a lot of accounts that had far more access than they should have. Yeah. And um, so again, that's that, that identity pillar is, is usually the first pillar we work with, with customers because if you don't get that right, it doesn't really matter about the rest of your controls. Yeah. You can have the best DLP and the best antivirus and you know the best co- compliance tools, but if you don't have good identity management, you kind of you've opened the door and let them in. Yeah, because that's to me scary when you when you saw how that could easily be done, and and I always say the. The biggest flaw is humans. Yeah, it is. Unfortunately, I don't mean, and I, I, I don't like to say that in terms of making people feel feel bad or anything, because I think it's, uh, you know, I, I think users and employees need a lot more support and training. I think yeah. there's a, there's, it's a very complex environment we're in now. You know, the the level of complexity in a modern organization. Generally, they're going to have a whole bunch of legacy software, legacy systems sitting over on one side. Then they're going to have a whole bunch of new cloud-based, fast-moving, application-driven stuff on the other side, probably with some very interesting plumbing going on between the two to make it all tied together. Um, and then they're using you know, very rapidly changing devices. Back when I was kind of an engineer, you updated your Windows PCs like as in a full operating system upgrade, maybe three, every three or four years, you know, you go from, you know, NT to XP to yeah. Windows 7. They were on kind of repeatable multi-year cycles with plenty of planning. 
you have no control over that really with modern operating systems. Microsoft dictates the speed of update of Windows. Uh, Google dictates the speed of update of Android and Apple dictates the speed of update of Mac and iOS. So you kind of have to move at the speed that they move at or otherwise you kind of kind of hold people back in your organization. So I think a lot of organizations struggle with that pace of change. Um, it's a very different model from an IT management point of view. Yeah. So there's a lot of complexity there which makes it difficult to ensure that the human side is able to really, you know, have work in safe ways, do best practice. Yeah, because I remember when Microsoft introduced Windows 10, they said, this was going to, from now on, we'll do okay then, but a couple of years ago, they introduced Windows 11. And I'm thinking, well, this is going against what they said, that Windows 10 is all you're going to have, and it'll be we'll update on a regular basis. I'm thinking, are they going to introduce to Windows 12, 13, 14, or is it going to be Windows 11 only? I don't, we just don't know. No, and, and none of us do know, and I think that's the difference in the kind of cloud-based world is you're, you're, there's so many advantages of cloud, but there is, from a, you put the kind of security hat on, you're still putting your data into somebody else's data center, you're yeah. still putting your, so you're still trusting somebody else's um, controls. Um, so, you know, there's, you can't you can't abdicate responsibility for security. You have to understand that world. You have to you have to put you know good governance compliance around it, and you have to have a, a really good think about how you do that in an effective way. Yeah, and also, you think there'll be a bigger emphasis on automation and the streamlining of, of business processes over the coming year? Yeah, I think there's always a focus on automation uh, and streamlining. That's what digital transformation generally. Yeah. That's the goal of digital transformation. It's to take old people and paper processes and automate them as much as possible because you know for a number of reasons it's it's obviously more cost effective it's generally more accurate you know if you can get data in doing automated systems rather than people typing in or you you know a classic example would be our healthcare system where there's you know i think i read a story today there's still their biggest file transfer mechanism is suitcases full of files and you know that's not efficient not safe and also not accurate relying on writing you're relying on humans Whereas, you know, in a, in a digital world, you can put a lot more controls on there. You can make sure the data is cleaner and it's more usable. So there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, it's hard to know, though, this year, because I think we are in an economic environment where there's an expectation that there will be some kind of, sl- you know, slowdown in economic activity over the, over the year, you know, to, to varying degrees, um, which, you know, on the one hand, could say cost-saving exercises are something they want to do. But automation, digital transformation generally is an expensive project and takes a lot of time and effort in businesses. So it's kind of hard to know if it's going to have a higher focus this year or not. Yeah. Um, I, I think it'll just be it'll be more of a, of a continuous focus. Um, and it, it might it might get a bit more kind of innovative project projects might kick in around things like AI and yeah. chat GPT and those areas to see what they could do to help with that space. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't think it would be any major increase on, on, on previous years. Yeah, and I guess briefly before we finish off, what are your thoughts on emerging AI tools to chat GTP? Is it going to be hindrance or is it going to be useful? Yeah, I, it's a fascinating tool. I play, like, I'm sure, like myself, anyone who's into, into tech or even you know, just generally into, into you know, lots of you has been all over social media, has had a play with chat GPT. It's, yeah. it's a pretty cool little tool. Like, it has huge. Um, inaccuracies, you know, it, it, there's it's only trained on data up to twenty one, you know, and it actually actively will make up stuff sometimes. You know, you cannot trust it. You know, there's been a lot of talk about it in the academic circles where people are worried that it could 
be used by students to simplify writing essays and you know answering questions. But I, I, you, there's dozens of accounts of people you know getting it to generate content, and then when you actually look at the bibliography it's referencing or the the quotes it's making. 50% of them are, are non-existent or, or are made up, but it just, it's so, it's so plausible and so good at writing that it, it sounds good. But um, it is definitely a powerful tool. I know from the developer side, people are using it quite effectively as a QA tool around code. Yeah. So you can, you know, post a bunch of code in there and ask it to, you know, you know, is this code effective? Could this code be rewritten in a more effective way? And it's proven itself to be very, very good at those kind of tasks. Um, I think, on a cybersecurity point of view, I think it would be very interesting what it could do around threat analytics. Yeah, you know, if that tool could could be really, um, I wouldn't see it as a replacement for a cybersecurity data analyst, but it would be more as a as a useful tool that they could use with them. So they could they could be analysing signals, they could have that running in the background, and it could be prompting them with you know key key points of data that they they may not that might have taken a bit longer to find themselves. Um, I think also the IT support world will be a very interesting one because it's very easy to take FAQs and processes, feed all those in and have a bot. And we're already starting to see that even before ChatGPT. Um, the likes of some of the, the service platforms have introduced bots that allow you to ask a question in a Teams chat or in a, in a Slack thread. And you know it will give you some canned answers based on what you asked it. Um, and divert a lot of calls from the service desk. So there's there's a huge there's already good use cases for AI and automation. The ChatGPT one is in the news at the moment, uh, and you know I think with Microsoft's kind of acquisition, it would be very interesting how they intend to work it into their um, into their platforms. Uh, but like Google have a competing product, so it'll be it's an interesting space to watch. Well, I heard recently uh, an article read a couple days ago they're not going to charge charge ChatGPT, it's going to be charged now. And in future, they're going to make money. So, making money is they're going to give a limited version for free, but you the full product, you got to pay for it. So, that's going to be yeah. interesting. Yeah, well, look, that's you know, any new technology, you know, once, once we get over the novelty, it's uh, it, 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 someone will find a way to commercialize it. That's just the nature of the yeah. world that we live in. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's definitely going to be one to watch. I think this year will be probably people dipping their toe in the water and playing with it. I think probably next year or the year after is when we'll really start to see, you know, get started to become a better than enterprise use cases. Yeah. And on that note, I'll say thanks for a great, great conversation, Paul, and uh, have a great day. I really appreciate it, Ron. Enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.